The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Latter-day Lives podcast. My name is Sean Rapier. I am your host, And boy, are we doing something different this week, uh, and actually a little bit uncomfortable for me. I'm outside my comfort zone, because not only are we recording the audio this week for the podcast, and it's available everywhere you normally get the show, but we're also doing video. You can go to our YouTube channel, just search for Latter-day Lives, and we've recorded the conversation with our guests this week, and I'm recording this on video now, and again... A little bit outside my comfort zone, but we've had requests to put this on YouTube. I don't know that we'll do it every week, but we're going to try it this week at least. So, and what a great show to try it for. My guest this week, Sean Stevens, is such an amazing actor. And in fact, when he left, my wife was like, wow, I've never seen you so starstruck. And there's a reason. Sean in the late 70s, early 80s was on every show that I absolutely loved. I mean, it was just, he just named show after show that he was on and he's incredible. And we've actually got some exciting news to announce about Sean Stevens. Uh, Sean was actually just cast as Scrooge in the Hale Center Theater production of A Christmas Carol. And that's going to be here in uh, Utah. It's up in South Salt Lake County at the beautiful Hale Center Theater. We actually talk about that theater during the interview. And for Sean, I mean, he's going to be amazing. Our family will for sure go see it. You should check it out. If you want to see Sean in uh, A Christmas Carol at the Hale Center Theater, be sure to call them because there are two actors playing Scrooge. They do like... 20 shows a week, something like that. So they got two actors. Make sure you see it on the night that Sean is there. You are going to love this conversation. Sean's story is amazing. And uh, later on in the episode, in my Latter-day Life, I'm going to tell you a little bit about why you can and should go home again. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And what an honor it is today in the Latter-day Live studio to have as my guest a bona fide star. And I mean a star. (laughs) Sean, you cannot deny your stardom because I have the proof. My guest is actor Sean Stevens. Sean, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm, I'm... like I'm starstruck that you're here, man. It's so cool. I'm starstruck to be here. Oh, yeah, this please. is just this is really exciting. So, Sean is an actor, and for people my age and a little bit older, uh, I mean, when I say star, we're talking right alongside all the heartthrobs of of this generation. So, but let's take it back before okay. we get into all okay, the okay. crazy Hollywood. I can't, I can't agree with most of what you've just said, but, <laughs> but I appreciate it. Thank you. Before we get into Hollywood, let's talk about your younger life. You grew up in New Jersey, lived in New Jersey till I was 10. Yeah. And, uh, my parents were quite young. I was born in 58. Yeah. Which makes me 60. So that's I've, awesome. I've you wear it well. Well, thank you. It's, um, it's nothing that a little, uh, spit and polish won't, <laughs> one picks up a little bit, but uh, yeah. So I was born in New Jersey in '58 to very, very young parents, 16 and 17. Yeah. So they were still kids. Uh, in fact, based on your bio, you attended something as a baby that I've never heard of. You were at your parents' prom. I was at my parents' prom. In fact, they're going back. Um, they're going back this year in October. Well, we're just about there for their 60th high school reunion. And that I, is, and so I was cool. there. So they they actually invited me to tag along, but. It, yeah, you said I don't have to go to this one. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I just had my forty-second. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. So you grew up in New Jersey. Do you consider yourself a New Jersey boy, or California boy, uh, or a Utah boy? I, well, not Utah quite yet. <laughs> um, uh, I always pretty much considered myself a New Jersey kid, yeah. even though my formative years were spent mostly in California. Those first ten years of my life before we moved to California were really wonderful because. Um, because my parents were so young, I got to spend a great deal of time with my grandparents. Oh, awesome. And they were both on both sides. I didn't know my paternal grandfather. He passed away when I was very little. But uh, I knew my, my grandfather on my mother's side and my grandmother and then my father's mother as well. And awesome. even knew some great-grandparents. So those were just magical, magical and years. And that's the blessing of having young parents. Absolutely. You know, it, that's great. But it's also been a little interesting because 
I identified more with Elvis Presley and the Beatles. And I mean, sure. that was, I consider that my music oh, where yeah. my peers who grew, who came into families with a little bit older parents, right? you know, they, they skewed a little bit later in their musical, um, a little more disco. A little, a little more disco. Yeah. yeah. I, I never quite identify. I was never, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, hard rock or anything like that. I was more of the British invasion. And That's awesome. Very cool. So do you have siblings? I do. Yeah. I have, I'm the oldest of three children. Awesome. I have a sister who's uh, three years younger than me and a brother who's five years younger than me. And they, uh, they both still live in the Burbank, California area, which is where we moved to when I was 10 years old. Yeah. When you're 10 years old... Your family moved to Burbank, to mm -hmm. Hollywood area. Yeah. And really, you did you know at that time then that you wanted to pursue acting? I didn't really know that I wanted to pursue acting per se, but I wanted to be a performer. I was always a ham. My, um, my uh, maternal grandparents especially were uh, very into the arts. Yeah. My, my grandmother was a, a pianist. My grandfather was a violinist. Mm. As a child, I, I would say that I probably spent more time with them than I did my own parents for the first few years of my life. And sure. So there was always music around the house and culture. When I got a little older, my grandmother, I was probably five or six, um, got she and I season tickets to a local community theater to go and see their summer drama program. And uh, the first play I ever saw was, was The Frog Prince. Oh, cool. And and I remember that. And it's a neat one for a kid. Yeah, it just it just somehow the spark. Uh, but is that what took your family out to California? Was no, let's not at go all. pursue the arts? No, no, your, no, no. Your father had another reason to. Go. No, my my parents were very uh, working class. My my father was a a, a carpenter. Yeah. Um, and and he was also um, worked at Newark Airport. He wanted to be a pilot actually most of mm. his life, and so he took a job at Newark Airport working for the now long gone TWA airlines. I flew them many times. Yeah. Many and times. my mother was a waitress. So trans world. Yeah. So my father had the opportunity to, um, to transfer out to Los Angeles where he had actually grown up in Inglewood. Oh, okay, cool. Um, and so when that opportunity came up, he, he saw more opportunity for my mom and he and, and my siblings in California, a little more better pay, a little more sure. quality of life. So, you know, that's what they thought. And this was, this was in the late 60s when you could afford to move to yeah. Los Angeles still. Yeah. Yeah. There were a lot of parts of it. Well, uh, we probably couldn't really afford it that much even then if, mm. if it wouldn't have been for a grandfather, uh, a great-grandfather rather, my father's grandfather who still lived out here and he owned a couple of homes and he rented one to my parents for a awesome. very nominal fee, which they ended up buying. Good to have so family. And they're, and they're still in that house. So how did you make that leap into performing? Was it gradual or was it all at once? You know, I I did, I was always drawn to the arts, as I said, and I, I did at one time, I think, have that idea that I wanted to maybe be on television. I didn't know what that entailed, but it looked pretty cool. And the Mickey Mouse Club was on. And yeah. and uh, in Burbank, you have you have. Disney Studios, you have Warner Brothers, you have Universal Studios, you had NBC, and it was just Paramount. You that's had all that's of them, what everybody, yeah. you know, everybody's father or mother worked at the studios. And um, on the street where I lived, there was a fellow who worked at Disney Studios, whose father worked at Disney Studios. He became a friend of mine, and I wrote this letter and I said, "Hey, Mister." Mr. Disney, I, I, I want to be in one of your shows. Uh, <laughs> and he passed, passed it on to the casting person there, and, and they had me in. And uh, they, uh, the casting person said, well, you really need to get some experience, so I suggest you go and do some, some uh, community theater. So uh, another friend of mine, his father knew of a theater in Glendale, which was called the Glendale Center Theater. Cool. Um, I'll tell you about that in a minute. You may not be aware of the significance there, but... Uh, he told me that they were holding an audition for the play A Christmas Carol. Yeah. And this is by this time I'm 12 years old. And so uh, I talked my mom into taking me down there on a Saturday. I auditioned for the play, got cast as the role of the spirit of Christmas past. Oh, fantastic. At 12 role. years old. So yeah. I'm wearing, you know, at 12 years old, I'm wearing a white tunic and white leotards. And, <laughs> and I got a, a, a flower thing in my hair. It was not the most... Uh, most masculine. It's a fun role. It though. was a fun role, but you know, I didn't invite many of my friends to come and see it. Let's put it that way. Yeah. But, um, but that's that's kind of what started it. And, and I, there's a Utah and LDS connection to that theater. Tell yes, us who ran that theater. Now, mind you, at this time, I'm not LDS. Right. Oh, okay. that, and that's important. I don't think we yeah. mentioned that at the beginning. Yeah. Your family is not LDS. You were not LDS. No. Probably didn't know what LDS stood for at that time. Not really. Uh, we and were, so, but we, there, but. 
you definitely ran into the church a lot. Because well, I did, and and I was this connection. I was raised in, in a a very strict Christian home. Yeah. My great grandfather on my on my father's side was a minister. Um, my mother, uh, I mean, my grandmother uh, was very active. My great grandmother. So so for generations, several generations anyway, and we'll probably get to that at some point too. But for several generations, uh, we were what uh, uh, we were members of a church called the Church of Christ. Yeah. No, no instrumental music, um, long dresses. Uh, you know, it was it was very very strict and very very um, uh, entrenched in the Bible and only the Bible. And so, your parents were very into this religion. Very, as yeah. was I. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was every Sunday, uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Yeah. And that's the way I was raised. My mother was raised Methodist, and so on my mother's side of the family, uh, I still had some religious background, but it wasn't as as dogmatic. Is that a word? I'm going to use it anyway. Dogmatic, I think. Dog. So. Oh, dogmatic. Dogmatic, thank you. Dogmatic. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was going to say what's funny, though, is actually in this age, uh, you know, we're talking uh, early 70s, I too was going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday. It was before we combined right. the block. Right. So even though yeah. it was. So, yeah, we have that in common. So tell us who owned the theater. That okay, you were well, at. I think you know, and, that's, and, you, and, and you're, I know. you're baiting me, so I'm, I'm going to take I'm, the hook. I'm getting it. <laughs> I, I want to hear this because it actually ties back to several of the guests on our podcast. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, people in Utah probably are not aware for the most part, and um, probably not so much in, in California even anymore, but the, uh, the founders of the Hale Center Theaters, Ruth and Nathan Hale, and then their daughter, uh, Sandy, and her husband, Alan Dietlein, yeah. started a theater. The, the, Ruth and Nathan had actually moved from Utah to L.A. because they wanted to become actors on the big screen. And uh, with a, you know, a family to provide for, the jobs were few and far between. They did a lot of writing. But to make ends meet, they would put on plays in their living room and invite people. And that became a... A theater called the the Doran Street Theater, which they outgrew that in a couple of years, and they built this wonderful uh, facility in Glendale, which became the Glendale Center Theater. The name Hale wasn't attached to it, but yeah. it was owned by Ruth and Nathan Hale and Sandy and Alan Dietline. Yeah. So um, Ruth and Nathan, I, I did every play from the time I was 12 years old until the time I was 18. It's awesome. And any play that had the part that I was age appropriate for, um, yeah. I would do. Yep. So, and then into high school, I... I continued to do theater, and, and music was a great love as well. I love singing. and uh, So tying back to the Hales, uh, mm-hmm. I mentioned, I teased a little bit that, that the podcast. Uh, so the Hales have a uh, grandson named Kurt Hale, who is a very well-known producer-director. Mm-hmm. So if you've seen Church Ball or The Singles yeah. Ward or The RM, yeah. and we've had Michael Berkland and we've had Scott Christopher and we've had so many actors, uh, Dave Nibley, Mm-hmm. Who've been in all their movies? Uh, Kurt Hale is their grandson, yeah, and he did all those movies. And then the Hale Center Theater, two locations, right here in Utah. Cody Hale, the, the same family owns exactly. Cody Hale, yeah. son of Ruth and Nathan, and um, then Quinn Dietlin, who's their their other grandson. It must be their, yeah, their grandson. He's another friend of mine. So, really? and then yeah. Mark and Sally owned the Hale the, uh, Hale Center Theater in West Valley. Oh, yeah. And now that's um, they've outgrown that, and they've moved to the Hale Center Theater in Sandy. The one in Sandy is massive. So yeah. that was a big part of your life growing up. Absolutely. Did you have any exposure to the church then? Do you remember your first oh, exposure yeah. to the church? Well, I, I knew that they were Mormons, and my family, my parents knew that they were Mormons. So they were not actually real keen on me working at the theater. Yeah, I was going to ask because most, not most, a lot of Christian faiths, Yeah. Don't look too favorably on Mormonism. So, yeah. were your parents concerned about you? I don't think they were concerned so much at the time. Um, there was obviously a great uh, deal, a great misconception, and not a lot of knowledge of the Mormon faith. Really, I mean, they had their ideas yeah. of what they thought the Mormon faith was about. Um, but I think you know, in those years, I was very attached to my the faith of my childhood, sure. and uh, really wasn't entertaining. Yeah. joining Mormons, but we, we did get into some gospel-type discussions, sure. and I had my point of view, and they had their point of view. And right. Oddly enough, the point of views were very very close, very intertwined, uh, but of course... It's the, one of my favorite things about faith. I mean, it's funny because I have long conversations when I travel, 
with Muslims, with, I mean, with people of all kinds of faiths, with other, you know, with other Christians, with Jews, our crossover every time is greater than our Mm -hmm. differences. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we're talking in religions that are not Christian faiths even, but among Christian faiths, we're so close. And yet sometimes, unfortunately, we focus on differences. I actually did a play called Are the Meadowlarks Still Singing? Have you ever seen that? No. That is a play that I don't know if Ruth and Nathan... uh, wrote it, or, or um, Sandy and, Al, and Alan Dietline wrote it, but it was a play of, um, that I know at the West Valley Hale Theater they did quite often as a missionary tool oh, cool. on Sunday nights. And it's about a, 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 I think they were Methodist or Presbyterian family where the father's a, a minister mm. and the daughter brings home a Mormon. Oh, how funny. And, you know, mischief. Hilarity ensues. Yes, ensues from that. <laughs> so at some point you make this transition to film. You had the meeting with Disney. Yeah. They said, go do some plays. Yeah. How did you eventually get back into television and film? Well, I, I continued to do uh, high school plays, middle school plays, the plays at the Glendale Center Theater. Um, and uh, just, out of, just out of high school, I auditioned for a group called the Young Americans, and I toured the United States with them for a year. We did Music Man in Oklahoma in 165 cities across 48 states. Mm. That was a whirlwind tour. But when I got back from that, um, uh, another friend, oddly enough, the same one that introduced me to the Glendale Center Theater, said he knew of a friend who was looking, f- who was doing a small independent film, and it, and they were looking for a young man my type to to play the lead. And so he introduced us. They offered me the role and. Um, of course, I accepted because I was, yeah. I was, you know, elated. What was that film called? It was called No Place to Ride. No Place to Ride. Yeah, which uh, nobody ever saw it. It's probably a good <laughs> thing. But the thing that impacted my life most about that film was that it was shot in Kanab, Utah. Wow. So here's this uh, uh, perspiring actor <laughs> uh, who's who's 19 years old. Who's, sure. Um, on his own in Kanab, Utah, for a few weeks, shooting, Kanab, this, of all places. shooting this movie. Yeah. Well, what do you do on a Sunday in Kanab if you're not shooting? <laughs> Especially and you're, then. And you're stuck in the Perry Lodge. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. You're not going out. Well, you're not going not to a Kanab. Church of Christ anyway. No, for sure. So right next door to the Perry Lodge was this Mormon church. This Mormon chapel. And um, I saw all these families walking to... There was nothing else to do. Everything else was shut down, so... Nobody's here to see me. Nobody knows who I am. I'm just going to walk in and sit in the back row and just see what all my friends have been doing all these years. How funny. And that was it. So tell us where that took you. I mean, how, how did the conversion happen? Yeah, I, I came back from, uh, from that experience. Something, I felt something. I uh, wasn't sure what that something was. I never felt it before, so I couldn't put a label on it. But when I, when I got back... To California, I um, um, some people introduced me. Some some of my Mormon friends introduced me to this woman who later would become my manager, and her name was Bonnie Larson, and she was LDS. And well, you were just surrounded. I was. By I was. Well, <laughs> the, the the plot thickens here pretty quickly. So, um, Bonnie Larson becomes my manager. She represents several people who are, are, are LDS and are involved in these plays like Saturday's Warrior and My Turn on Earth and stuff. I had no idea what those were. But um, I told her, yeah, I had a really good time in Kanab. I walked into a Mormon church and I felt something. I have no idea what it was. Um, <laughs> That's the wrong thing to I know, say to I'm a, a little, Mormon. <laughs> I'm a little, I'm curious, but I'm not uh, interested. And she said, oh, okay, well, let me introduce you to a couple of kids that I know who happen to be involved in these plays. Oh, I love it. I and, love this whole story so yeah. much. And then they take me over one Saturday afternoon, like probably the next day, because I was pretty eager, and they were obviously very eager to have me sit down with uh, the person who was the ward mission leader, whose name was Lyman Dayton. Lyman Dayton is an LDS director, best known for the film Where the Red Fern Grows. Awesome. Against a Crooked Sky, Seven Alone, Baker's Hawk, all these films. So anyway, I didn't, but to, I didn't know who he was at the time. I didn't know yeah. about his movies and his connection as being a director. Um, but they started presenting the first discussion to me. Awesome. I didn't know what 
the first discussion was, but when they got to the end of it, they said, uh, okay, when can we set up another appointment to come back and take the second discussion? I said, well, what's wrong with now? <laughs> I ended up taking all then six discussions in one day. Wow. Committed to baptism, was baptized the next Saturday, and I moved out of my house the next day and moved in with Lyman Dayton's family. So did you talk to your parents about joining the church? You know, I think everything worked out the way it was supposed to work out, and I, w- I you know, wouldn't change, you know, for the outcome, I wouldn't have changed anything that transpired except for one thing, and that would have been to have told my parents previous to my being baptized. Oh, you talked to them after. Yeah. How did that go? Well, I knew that if I told them before, yeah. that would be a scene. And, sure. you know, the adage, that's it's fair. easier to ask forgiveness than permission. Right. Yeah, that's totally fair. So, but yeah. but it was, I think it was, in hindsight, and now having my own children, how would I have reacted? Right. I think I would have wanted to have been given the opportunity to, you know. Yeah. And But I denied them that, and I just came up and... But so I think it, that's it, fair. It was, I mean, you did it out of love and you know concern. So yeah, but it it ended up being very painful to yeah. them, um, mm-hmm. and caused uh, a lot of uh, a lot of hurt feelings and a lot of pain and anguish for my family. In case I don't get back to it, how are things with your family now, with the church and everything? Well, I'll say this very quickly, but it, as it turns out, my great 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 grandfather and great 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 grandfathers had joined the church in the 1830s in Canada. Incredible. Uh, baptized wow. by Joseph Smith and, um, <laughs> and um, Oliver Cowdery and, uh, or Sidney Rigdon and emigrated to the United States. And my great-great-great-grandfather was in the Mormon battalion, bodyguarded Joseph Smith, lived right across the street. I have the deed from Joseph Smith to my grandfather, selling him the property across the street. And, Unbelievable. And uh, he was the scout alongside Porter Rockwell for the 1847 company. And uh, awesome. he's buried in Bluff, Utah, um, because he was in the... And the, you didn't know all I this. I kn- knew none of this. So, um, Incredible. I was able to share that with my family after I discovered it, once I started doing my genealogy and had discovered all this. And it was never, um, oh, man, great. That means we're all Mormons, you know? <laughs> it was more, well, so what? You know, what does that mean? That's history. That's yeah. not now. And um, so... To answer your question, I have a great relationship with my parents. Good, we I'm just so don't dis- we that. just don't discuss religion. Sure, I I we I have I think we all have family like that. Yeah, my sister so. has become Catholic since my yeah. my brother uh, doesn't follow a faith tradition per se, but yeah. you know he lives a good life, and so I think uh, my parents, you know, for one for their own reasons, don't attend church anymore either. So, yeah. of all the kids, um, I I think that they're proud of me. And, and sure. the way I've lived my life and raised my family, and they're proud of my children and my their great grandchildren that my That's kids awesome. have given them. And so, so you've you've joined the church now. You've embarked on this acting career. Tell us about the Mackenzies of Paradise Cove. <laughs> okay, so um, you know, as a as a young actor, you, or as any actor, old actors even now, I'm still doing it today. But you you hit the pavement. You go on auditions, and you 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 you, you peddle your talent and. Um, uh, it wasn't really going well for me for, for a while after I joined the church. Mm. Um, and my mom actually said at one point, see, you shouldn't have become Mormon. If you hadn't become Mormon, you'd be doing a lot better. I'm, I'm sure she believed that. I yeah. really believe. Uh, yeah, she must have believed that. And uh, a week after she said that to me, you know, it was feast or famine. I went right from famine to a, a pretty nice feast. I was, I had, met with um, some casting people that were putting together a, a new TV series for ABC called The Mackenzies of Paradise Cove. They had actually already done a pilot, but when they, when they um, tested the pilot with some audiences, you know, they seemed to like the concept and a lot, a lot of the cast, except for one of the characters, the oldest brother of the family. And so they, they had to, the, the, the pilot had been picked up to go to series and very quickly they had to find someone to replace that other young man. And, um, I had to, um, for this audition, I had told Lyman that I would watch his kids, and I had a couple of his kids with me that I had to take to the audition oh, no. and sit them outside, and and somehow that um, inspired the casting people and the director and said, look how good he is with kids. Yeah. He's got these young 
kids out here and he's he's watching them. And so I think that had a little bit to do with it. A couple of days later, I met with uh, Tony Thomopoulos, who was the president of ABC. And they said, okay. And two days later, I was on a flight to Hawaii to star in a TV series. And, and is it is it fair? So I watched what I could on YouTube. Uh, it's pretty grainy. Yeah. It's pretty hard to see. There's a great scene of you helping a younger kid. You're working on a car or something. But, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, that was it, my, that's how I've, I did my part to provide for the families. The concept was there were these five orphan siblings whose parents, they lived on the coast in Hawaii, Wonderland Cove, or yeah. Paradise Cove. And um, their parents had gone out one day in their little sailboat, and a, little, a storm came up, and the parents never came back. So the kids, realizing that without parents, they would probably be separated. And so they talked a fisherman, lived a couple doors down from them, to pretend that he was their uncle. So they called him Uncle Kuda. And um, uh, so that's the concept of the show. And we helped him out, and he pretended to be our uncle, and he got us out of problems. And you were the oldest brother. I was the oldest brother. And this was... It's hard to explain to our younger audience. I mean, you know, I was obviously alive and well during this time. Uh, it's hard to explain what TV was like at yeah. that time. It was really legitimately, which of the three shows exactly. are we going to watch tonight? Yeah. And I could tell you when I there was... There was three networks, ABC, NBC, CBS. There was, was no there was no Fox. There was no cable. No cable. Cable was so fledgling that yeah. you didn't know anyone who actually had it. Uh, I mean, this is pre-MTV, this yeah. is pre-all of that. And so legitimately, I could tell you back in this time when every show was going to be. You knew what oh, yeah. shows were on at what time. And we were, our show was, in its premiere episode, was sandwiched between Mork and Mindy and Happy Days. You've got to be kidding me. So people watched, <laughs> tune in to watch the number one show on TV, Happy Days. Yeah. Then they watched us, and then they watched Mork and Mindy. Yeah. And that was that was became the power block. And because of the lead in from Happy Days, where you got the majority of TV viewership watching, yeah. if you catch their interest in the first couple minutes of your show, they're going to stick with you the whole hour. So our premiere episode of Mackenzie's to this day remains the highest rated TV premiere. It oh, came really? in at number two for the week. Wow, really? So in that's that, massive. So, you know, the viewership, I don't know what that translates to in the amount of viewers but it's in the tens of millions yeah that's really impressive so all of a sudden you're a star i mean you literally went from unknown guy yeah. to being a star i mean uh, you're on you're on millions of tv sets did you start getting recognized yeah yeah was that kind of uh, kind of a funny thing it was uh uh very foreign i mean as an actor it's kind of what you hope for yeah you know i mean there's there's actors and there's celebrities i hope hope that I was more in the actor category, but as yeah. a 19-year-old kid, when people start coming up to you on the street and saying, hey, I saw you last night, yeah. you know, it, it's flattering and it's... Um, uh, so when... So here's, here's, okay. a, here's a great question. When was your first magazine cover? Oh, goodness. <laughs> first magazine cover came out before the, the series ever premiered. Oh, because, really? you know, ABC, they're trying to, you know, build a, a little buzz about the yeah. show... And so as soon as I came back from filming in Hawaii, they had these these interviews set up with me and photo sessions set up with me with Tiger Beat and yeah, Teen, Teen Beat, Beat and, and all that. And yeah. And again, those. for our younger listeners, I mean, there are there are listeners in their 40s and 50s and 60s right now who uh, female listeners whose hearts are beating a little <laughs> bit faster, thinking back to Tiger Beat. But, you know, I've seen the photos and it's literally the guys we're talking about, Scott Baio and Willie yeah. Ames and... Yeah. And Sean Stevens, right yeah, there. Yeah, it's was funny. That today, I was. Um, I've remained friends with some of those guys over the years. And, oh yeah, you know Willie. I still keep in contact with. And just today, I was. Willie Ames was Tommy on uh, Eight Is Enough. Eight Is Enough. And uh, just today, I was uh, uh, going back and forth a little bit, um, uh, texting uh, Peter Barton, who was a friend of mine. Oh and, no, kidding! You know, Peter was uh, the powers of Matthew Starr. Yeah, and he and he and I became friends because we both tested for the lead role. At the How same time, funny. Peter got it, and he, he's, he's a great guy, and uh, to this day, we, we remain friends. It's awesome. So, so you're doing this, this show, yeah. but the show did one season? The show did one season, yeah. uh, you know, with, with only the three networks, only so many nights of primetime each week. You can imagine that the... It's competitive. The very, very, very competitive as to which show is going to make it and which shows. And it's um, not only competitive, but it's very political. So if you have... 
um, someone like, um, I mean, name some of the, the top, top producers of the day, uh, Aaron Spelling. Aaron Spelling, yeah, okay. I and mean, that's who comes to mind yeah, right so away. Yeah, so in fact, I think it was Aaron Spelling. He had maybe half a dozen shows yeah. on that he was producing. And he had this one show, and it was down to us and Aaron's show, Mr. Spelling. I sound like I know him. Mr. Yeah. Me and Aaron. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, only one slot available, and I'm sure he had the leverage and said, well, it's going to be us. And by the time they made that decision and put that show on the air and it went a couple of episodes and bombed, by that time, we were all off on other adventures and, and it was, wasn't possible to so reconvene all of us again. It wasn't one of Aaron Spelling's big hits. No, but but the... Um, oh, no, that the show that got canceled, I think, was called Salvage One. <laughs> And I think uh, uh, Fred McMurray or somebody like that was uh, in charge awesome. of a salvage operation in outer space. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's, that's oh, it. that's heartbreaking. Yeah. But our show was created by, um, by William Blinn and Jerry Thorpe, Blinn Thorpe Productions. And William Blinn had also created Eight is Enough. Okay. Yeah. And Starsky and Hutch. Oh, unbelievable. Yeah. I had a Starsky and Hutch poster in my yeah. room when I was and, little. And so... Um, when uh, Mackenzie's went down after a season, um, there was a part open in Eight is Enough. So Bill Blinn recommended to ABC that we bring Sean over to Eight is Enough. And what role did you play on Eight is Enough? Um, Jack Binder was my name. Yeah. And I was the youngest daughter, Elizabeth's away at college boyfriend. Elizabeth. For the last two seasons. She's such a cutie. Connie Needham. Yeah. Was, is her name. It's uh, So... Again, I kind of fanboy out with this stuff because of my age. I mean, I, I grew up watching all these shows, and you went on a run. I mean, you had a, a recurring role on Eight is Enough. Yeah. But you went on a run. I mean, our listeners, uh, again, of our age will very well know you were on Chips, Too Close for Comfort. I mean, that's amazing to yeah. me because that was the show we kind of weren't allowed to watch. Yeah, it was a little edgy. It was all over my head, by the way. I, I go back to it now and I go, holy cow, there's an inappropriate joke like every three minutes, but we didn't know it at the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There was Too Close for Comfort and Three's Company were the two yep. outlawed shows. Yeah. Uh, Ted, Ted, on... uh, Ted, ba Ted Baxter? Yeah, Ted was Baxter. Was the dad. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. he had two, two, very, very, two very vivacious daughters. Yeah, beautiful girls. And, and I then... was the tutor. No, the youngest daughter was my tutor. And I was the high school jock. And, um, of course, being in close proximity to her, when the parents aren't home, I mean, it's, yeah. we're, we're talking night, early. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. it's, by today's standards, it's rated G. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then they had a, uh, they had a friend who at the time we thought was just goofy. Yeah. And his, uh, what's his name? Oh, goodness. Yeah, oh, I can't think of his name either. Uh, Jay Bull me. Bullock. Um, yeah, Jim J. Bullock. Jim J. Bullock. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Cr crazy, crazy, crazy. And guy. then a show that I don't think I ever missed in first run, The Facts of Life, which you take the good, you take the bad, yeah. you take them both, and there you have. Yeah, in fact, uh, uh, this last week, I think we lost... Um, uh, oh, that's right. Miss Ray. She, yeah. She passed away. Yeah, who, who played... She was uh, 90. Mrs... Oh, what was her name? I'll get there. I will remember all. Yeah, of she was this. the house yeah, house mom of, to all the facts girls. Facts of life was always on with um, with uh, different strokes. Different strokes. They yeah. were always. They were always. Yeah, in fact, on uh, she she crossed over. Her, I think her character crossed over. I think to both was, shows, yeah. or at yeah. least she has an actor. Ed, Edna Garrett Edna, was her name. She Mrs. worked Garrett. on both yeah. shows. That's right. And then all of a sudden, this leads to the search for tomorrow. Yeah. What was the search for tomorrow? Search for tomorrow was a soap opera, daytime, yeah. daytime drama. That was filmed in New York City, and uh, they were trying to up the ratings. And they, you know, demographically, they weren't necessarily hitting the younger, you know, teens, twenties crowd. So yeah. they wanted to bring in somebody that could maybe bump up their viewership again with that, you know, age group. And so they invited me to come over and to uh, do a a stint on Search for Tomorrow. A and stint? You did ninety-eight episodes well, on Search for Tomorrow. Yeah, but by today's standards, I mean there's there's people that were on Days of Our Lives or Young and the Restless yeah. forty years ago that are still there. Well, and talk about iconic. You were on Days of Our Lives. Days of Our Lives. How was the experience? You're LDS, and you're working on Days of Our Lives. Yeah. Was there conflict? Was that difficult at times? Um, my character, I always try. Once I joined the church, and to be fair, I think I wouldn't, regardless of my church of sure. know, membership, I wouldn't have done it anyway. But. Um, I always made sure that the characters that I was going to be playing were going to be the more wholesome. 
And, you know, there's a price to pay for play, playing the more wholesome characters. For sure. Because they're not always the most exciting characters. They're not right. always the best written characters. They're not always the most memorable. They're not sure. the most memorable. They're not, not the ones that stick around, have the longevity. It's always the bad, you know, the bad yep. guy that, that sticks around a long time on those types of shows. But, you know, I did my time, yep. so to speak, on them. And, yeah. and I was always invited to stick around. And by the time I felt like it wasn't fulfilling me artistically, creatively, or that there were you know, brighter, brighter pastures sure. elsewhere. And my managers were always trying to say, and, and agents were, hey, you know, we got this feature coming up or we've got this, you know, mm. you don't want to get tied down to daytime. Hindsight, you know. You did 136 episodes of Days of Our Lives. And I bet people can't remember one <laughs> because I was the good guy. I well, was, I didn't, I didn't watch it at the time. Yeah. I was, I was 11, 12. Yeah. I was much more into, uh, and actually, your the next your next credit. I'm going through IMDb right now. You were on Fame. Yeah, I cannot believe you were on Fame. Yeah, that 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 was really fun. Again, directed and produced by William Blinn. Yeah, so you were just one of his. Yeah, crew. he was he, he was my you know my benefactor, yeah. my mentor. He mm. he believed in me from the beginning and um, um, and continued to do so. Uh, I loved the years. Fame. I loved that show so much. It was on Sunday nights for the longest yeah. time. And oh, I just absolutely loved it. And so, I got to sing, and, and well, I'm not a dancer, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it dancing. Um, but if, if people want to go to uh, YouTube and put in Sean Stevens' fame, and you can see a whole episode there. It's, well, we're going to share a bunch of links this okay, week on right. Facebook so that we can see, because I went back to a lot of this stuff, and I'm telling you, this is my this is my childhood. You know, I mean, this is such cool stuff. So then very, very interestingly, in 1985, it stops. And you went through a big shift in your life. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about what was going on in this time. Well, um, so I, uh, in 1984, I got married. I met a girl at our singles ward in Studio City, California, and literally was, it was love at first sight from my you know, perspective. Yeah, when you saw her. It took me, it took me a year and a half or so to convince her but um, <laughs> um we got married in 84 and uh, didn't you casually sit and read the tiger beat with your face on the cover I no mean, <laughs> that's excuse me that, that's really funny because one of the things that um really drew me to her is she had no idea who who what i did for a living yeah who you were as a person well yeah she right there was no yeah. no knowledge in fact um we uh I met her there, and then the next night, we, or the next day, we went. We sat by each other in church, and the next night, we went to home evening group together. And so, three days, boom, boom, boom. And during this whole time, we never really talked about what each other did. We just somehow that got glossed over, and she never asked and was never curious about it. So I'm like having these wonderful conversations with a beautiful woman, young lady, who's not attracted to anything other than the actor than me. Yeah. Not and the that was on the screen. that was really refreshing. So That's we talked awesome. and talked, and then one of her girlfriends told her, "Hey, do you know who? What that guy does?" <laughs> she said, "No." Well, so she found out, and then she the next time I saw her, she said, "Remember, there's no cell phones, by the way, at this right, time. Right, so it's right. not like she just you know did this and looked me up or anything." It was, well, she didn't do this at all. She's probably doing this with a rotary <laughs> exactly, dial. Exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, so the next time I saw her, she said, "Oh, I heard that you." you work on soap operas like days of our lives and i said yeah she said um that's really cool because um do you know the guy who played the character oliver on search for tomorrow or pardon me um oliver was days of our lives the guy who played the character zach on Mm. search for tomorrow a couple years ago and i said yeah i know that guy and she said oh that is so cool because my sister this is my wife's my then yeah girlfriend um, saying her, that her sister had been pregnant during that summer and watched Search for Tomorrow religiously and <laughs> fell in love with this character named Zach. And when she had a child, she named the baby no. Zach. No way. And so I... Um, <laughs> what an uncomfortable conversation. I said... Um, That's hilarious. I said, well, yeah, I know that guy. In fact, that was me. <laughs> She said no. She's the next about weekend, you. the next weekend, her sister and mother flew in from Arizona to meet me. 
Did they already know that you were Zach? Did your sister or did your girlfriend yeah, well, my, tell them? Yeah, she before Kayleen, they got there. Kayleen told them before they got there, oh, and okay. so they came out. Yeah, to meet me and uh, and introduce we, you to little Zach. When we were married a few so a few funny. years a uh, few months later a year later, uh, Zach was the ring bearer in our wedding. So. Oh, what a neat story! But Zach's That's... like thirty two now or something. That is that 32. is super cool. So you decide that you're going to shift your life now. You yeah. you make a major major shift. What was that transition time? Um, well, about this time, I had heard about a um, uh, somebody contacted me about a film that the church was doing. Yeah, and asked if I would uh, come and meet with them for an audition, and I did. And uh, um, the audition really consisted of just bearing your testimony and thank you very much. And I knew really nothing else. It was kind of a hush project; knew nothing more about it. And then a couple weeks later, I get a phone call um, from a guy named Mike McLean saying, uh, we'd like you to do this film for the church. And uh, are you interested? Of of course I was, because I'd always kind of dreamed of using my talent for for church purposes. And uh, so uh, I ended up doing the film that summer, which many people may know is our Heavenly Father's plan. Yeah. And when the when the film was completed, it was a very spiritual experience doing the film. A lot of miracles happened, and uh, but when it was over and had been edited, and that the the church now had this completed project in their hands, um, I was contacted by a fellow who was uh, one of the heads of Bonneville Communications, and he said. Uh, can you come? I think I was actually in town doing some looping, which is yeah. voiceover recording. Audio. Yeah. And uh, he said, uh, let's have lunch. So I went and had lunch with him over by Temple Square. And he said that, you know, the brethren were wondering oh. if uh, you would consider putting your acting career on the shelf for a season so that this film that we've done can do its missionary work throughout the world and and not have people who are you know being taught by the missionaries who see this film tune into the te- their television the next day and see you as an actor and then break right break, break that down break that down and break the spirit the fourth what, wall yeah. the fourth wall break break you know it, it confuse the people well was this guy really telling his story or was yeah. he was it a script was he acting sure. was he sincere and you know so that's how acting was all I knew. That's how I made my living. That's how I supported my family. And uh, we had a uh, we had a daughter at this time. And uh, uh, wait, you're ask, asking me to? So I wandered. You know, I'm kind of in a daze. I didn't even begin to try to call my wife and tell her about this because I had to process this first. And um, I walked across the street to Temple Square, and I I. I go into the tabernacle, it was open and they were giving tours and stuff. And I just sat there and a short time later, Boyd K. Packer comes in. It was, it was coincidence. I mean, it wasn't by design or maybe, maybe divine design, but not by. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know that I blow that off as coincidence <laughs> at this point. But anyway, we chatted a little bit and he chatted, chatting with an apostle. <laughs> uh, but he recognized me because they had all seen the, the film. Sure. And, this was the first time the church had ever done anything really. So I, I didn't want to interrupt the story, but I, it's important to, 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 you know, right now we think of Mormon ads and we think of the Mormon channel and all of the media. This was such a new concept. Yeah. There had not been, I mean, there weren't the resources to distribute it anyway before this, yeah. but this was so big. I don't know how to help our audience understand how big that era was. Yeah, there were, there were, the first film was Our Heavenly Father's Plan, I think, and then there was a couple of others, uh, Together Forever, and, yep. or, and, and, what were some of the other, Families Are Forever, or? Families Are Forever was yeah, one. There was yeah, a, there was three or four of them. But the other films were telling a story where there were, there were characters. Yeah. But in Our Heavenly Father's Plan, it was a person, an individual, a young man, Talking directly, breaking down that that fourth wall. Yeah, talking talking to directly to the camera, and therefore talking to investigators. 
and sharing about, about the big stuff about yeah. where why are we here well it became yeah. it became the first discussion it became the first point of contact for missionaries worldwide mm-hmm. for it was it was translated into dozens of languages yeah we were talking um, earlier that i i showed the film strip yeah and there was <laughs> the a film strip version of it there was even a commercial campaign people are used to seeing those now mm. you know where somebody gets up there flow or whoever and yeah. talks about a product and says hey if you dial this number uh we'll send it to you in the mail. Well, we, we did that. We did these commercials that aired worldwide. And I'm talking to people across the television saying, hey, I found something in my life that has helped me and given me more meaning in life. And I'd like to share it wow. with you. And if you will call this number, representatives of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints would love to bring you a CD copy. Yeah. And so... Incredible. So um, my wife and I did make the decision to you know to follow the promptings and follow the spirit and but that meant that you know I had to find another way to make a living yeah and support my family and my wife you started so young with acting I mean that's all you'd done I, that's all I'd known so what did you do uh boy struggled for several years um uh I bagged groceries yeah I delivered bread. Yeah. I um my wife, uh she had been a clothing designer in, the, in not in the film industry but in the fashion industry and she went back to work and so I stayed home and watched the baby and we only had one car and I we had to move out of I had a, a really nice condo and nice cars, 280ZX, I mean, the car of my dreams and yeah. We we lost all these things and uh we moved into a um, a garage apartment, um, and uh, so it was. A, it was a couple of really, really humbling, really hard, really painful years. But there was a lot of opportunity to search, you know, my soul and mm. and uh, try did, to realize what's important. And did you struggle with not getting bitter of going? I had momentum. I no. kind of had that. That momentum. I mean, there got to be times in a you know you're 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 delivering bread or you're you're bagging groceries. Thinking there was a lot of tears. Yeah, there was I a can lot. Imagine. Of, there was a, a huge amount of tears. Uh, you know, real tears. Uh, and and you know, I don't know that I've exposed this before, but that also led to weight gain mm. and depression. And uh, yeah, you know, delivering bread. You know, uh, in the middle of the night, or I. For every loaf of bread you drop off, you pick up what's old and stale, and I would just reach behind me and grab a loaf of stale bread and just start, sure. you know. And so after a few months of that, I started putting on weight. And yeah. And what I realized in hindsight years later was that that was just a coping mechanism or, or I was putting up a wall. So sure. even if that phone rang and they wanted me to come and be in a movie or a TV show or something, that I could say, no, I, you know. I'm not the same I'm not Sean the same Stevens Sean. that I'm, you're looking you know, for. I, I wouldn't be your did, tabloid. Did you at any point think, okay, time for the comeback? Because, you know, the, the, no. the time had passed. No, because luckily, or, you know, not luck. I'm sure I'm sure the Lord had his hand in, in all of these things. Um, I did end up working through some friends in film production. Mm. And I, I saw that hey well even though I even if I can't be the guy in front of the camera yeah why can't I work behind the camera doing whatever I could the, awesome. the pay would be better I would be around filmmaking which I loved I would be in the company of other actors and I could watch their work and maybe learn something from what they're doing um, and I fell into a position called craft services which if you've yeah. ever been on a film set crafty crafty <laughs> he, he's hey crafty People love Crafty. You're yeah. the most popular guy on the film set. And and for those people that don't know what Craft Services, you may see uh, Craft Services at the bottom of the credits, but basically Craft Services provides snacks and food and 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 sustenance and nutrition and you know, it, it's a catering. I mean, it's, it's full a, on catering. Yeah. You are you are feeding the entire crew. Yeah. Sometimes that's a meal. Sometimes that's three meals in a day. Yeah. It's constantly having snacks out yeah. and making sure that. Which of course They're also led out. to my more of my nibbling and snackings. So. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, but but anyway, I, <laughs> those uh, are long days on set. Oh, but I my. got my you know I got the benefits and How I got cool. the, and I joined the union and made great money and uh, um, and and uh, that lasted thirty years. 
Unbelievable. Until just a couple of years ago, well, six years ago now, I was injured. My first series that I worked on was The Wonder Years, so that's how far back that goes. You did craft services for The Wonder Years. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Five years. I. So That is amazing, Sean. <laughs> In this time, you had children. Yeah. Tell us about uh, your kids. Four children. Unbelievable. Um, our oldest one is our is our beautiful daughter, Tari, or Tarin. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tari uh, now lives in uh, Harriman. She and her husband, Dylan, have cool. two children. Dylan had been a missionary in Burbank when I was the ward mission leader. <laughs> uh, That's so. cool. And then my oldest boy, Corey, uh, he and his wife, Mallory, have two children. They're expecting their third in, in December. And, Joy. And uh Corey and his wife own a company in Provo called Taft Clothing. And then my next son is Perry. And Perry is a student at BYU in Provo. And he's also an artist and, uh, and, and in construction. And then our youngest, Kaysen, turns 25 this year. And Kaysen is also a student at BYU, but he also works full-time um, working in uh, funding for VA loans. Awesome. And all three of my sons serve missions. And you're still married to your sweetheart. Still married. To, well, f- well, we're we're 33 years now, and uh, and so so six years ago I had this accident. It forced me to to retire uh, from the film industry or from production, and I so I took out my pension and and disability and all that stuff. And I was now the stay at home. And yeah. my wife took a job for the church, working um, as the supervisor of the L.A. Temple. Oh, incredible. Uh, part, right. Supervisor of the Temple. That would be the Lord, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> supervisor of the cafeteria at the L.A. Temple. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, that's so really I marry funny. above my... Uh, uh, of the cafeteria. Yeah. Yeah. And then, oh, that's um, funny. So a couple years ago, we decided... Well, backtrack once again. Um about five years ago, the the uh, Deseret News did an article, a story. Um, a, a writer for Deseret News named Trent Toon contacted me, and yeah. they were kind of doing a whatever happened to yeah. Where is he now? Talking about yeah. Where is he now? Talking about our Heavenly Father's plan. It was kind of an approaching a thirty year anniversary, I think, at the time. And yeah, so that became a story in the Deseret News called "Lights, Camera, Faith: The Sean Stevens Story." Right. And it's still up. Uh, people can still find it. I read it this morning. <laughs> um, and that was that article got into the hands of T.C. Christensen. Oh, and wow. at the time, T.C. was working on a movie called The Cokeville Miracle. Yes. And he contacted me and said, it's about time you came out of retirement um, or exile. And uh, I have a part for the uh, character of the bishop the in bishop. Cokeville Miracle. Yeah. Would you like to come up here and play with us? Mm. So I did that movie, and then I started networking and, and did another film uh, on the heels of that and a couple others. And Did that reignite your love oh of my acting? Goodness. It just reminded me uh, of the passion that I had for it, and never, it had never gone away, and I, you know, I kept it under a bushel long yeah. enough. And um, you know, During the time that you had mentioned uh, Kurt Hale, during the time of the, the singles ward and, and yeah. ward basketball whatever those movies were sure or saints and soldiers and all those i right you know i'm yeah. seeing these movies and i'm thinking you know they're making mormon movies now <laughs> I, sh- I should be up there in utah but you know i i had a career in la and there really was no sure. but over a couple of years all of a sudden doors were opened and yeah and i was able to come up here and start and working. now you're living in utah yeah then uh just a couple of years ago by this time all four of our children lived here and my Wife and I were thinking, what are we doing here? And well, more me. She she really liked Burbank and still does. Um, <laughs> but we got to thinking, hey, we've got grandchildren, we've got our children. Nobody's really talking about coming back to California at any time. Right? Maybe it's time we think about following the family. Awesome. And uh, my wife uh, let her upline know that she was interested in perhaps working in Utah and. Within a couple of weeks, she got a call asking her if she would come and take over as supervisor of the Mount Tipinogos Temple. Awesome, which is our temple right here. Which, uh, so she took, and I moved her up here before I was even here. Wow. And so we've lived here now two years this month. And now you're back into acting. You've got this yeah. beautiful grown family. Yeah. Uh, Sean, your story is so inspiring to me. What advice do you have 
you could have gone bitter <sighs> a million times over. You could have. And when I talk to you, you know, I mean, our listeners will get the sense for you. But from you, sitting here with you, you are a man of so much peace. I, I don't feel anxiety or angst, even as you're telling this story. What advice do you have for people who are going through adversity? Uh, well, I mean, I don't, I don't know necessarily that I'm qualified to really give advice on the subject because everybody has to figure this out for themselves. Um, and I'm, I'm sure there was lots of times I could have made the wrong I mean, I made a lot of bad choices over the years, but I never, never really made those monumental um, yeah. decisions that led me and my family away from the gospel. What, Having, what kept you so strong through the lean years? The lean financial years? Yeah. My kids, my family, my wife, mm. the gospel. Uh, I mean, it's, it's being somebody who didn't grow up in the gospel, I know what a treasure it is. Mm. Yeah, and and always knew and knew um, knew the peace that it had brought into my life when it when it when I accepted it. Um, I have a very strong testimony, and it was it came about in a very very powerful personal way for me. Right. Um, and so whenever I had any doubts or any uh, temptations, you know, monumental temptations, I succumbed many times to. Again, minor, what I would necessarily, I guess, consider minor ones. But yeah. the biggies, I, I really tried to to uh, stay true to my faith. Um, my kids, my kids just mean the world to me, and oh, as I do, awesome. as I know they do to my wife. And I never wanted to let my kids down. You know, even when it was hard to to get up and get the family to church every Sunday and every, you know. Right. And home evenings were difficult. I can't sit here and say that we were the most regular of home evening providers for our kids, you know. <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> uh, don't don't beat yourselves up. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I look back and, I, and I, I, I look forward and I think, how did I end up with such an amazing family? Mm. Um, given, sure. given all the, everything that, that I dragged, I drug them through. Mm. Um, so... Just even when you don't know why, yeah, and even when it's hard, just try to force yourself to make the right decisions and be awesome. where you're supposed to be. So when when are you going to start playing the old clips of uh, Grandpa for the grandkids? <laughs> you know, it's funny because because I um, in addition to the the clip, well, so I did a film um, a couple years ago actually that Lyman Dayton directed. Oh, wow. The fellow who had wow, baptized yeah. me. It was the first time we had worked together in a film just a couple years ago, and the film was called Drop Off. Oh, cool. And uh, I played an old uh, fellow who uh, had had a very uh, unfortunate um, thing happen to him in his life, which which turned him to drink, and yeah. he, he re retreated from the world, and um, and then he redeems himself and helps other people. And So anyway, the film's family-appropriate. It's available at Seagull and Deseret and all, awesome. those, all those normal places. But So at the premiere, I got to bring my family. And I have my oldest grandson, Jeremiah, sitting on my lap when cool. Grandpa's up there on this big screen. <laughs> and uh, But I was kind of real, I'm even shaggier than I am now. And uh, I can just see Jeremiah kind of looking up at the screen and looking over at me and, you know, just doing this back and forth for a moment. And then at one point, he takes my face and he puts it in his hands and he pulls me towards him and he says, Grandpa, that's you. <laughs> so that's, and then and I, um, my, um, my daughter has taken video of the kids at their, my, her two children, um, Jack and Rosie, uh, watching me on, a, on their television at home. Fine. And, and, you know, dancing around, there's Grandpa, there's Grandpa. And yeah. so, so it's... It's it's a lot of fun. My kids, on the other hand, Dad, please yeah. put it away. Stop it already. We've seen the scrapbook. Don't. Yeah, I uh, I got to show about three years ago. My kids found a tape of an Arctic Circle commercial where I played a dancing strawberry. 
when I have never heard the end of it. So Never did a dancing strawberry. I don't, I don't get out that kind of stuff. <coughs> this has been the most phenomenal conversation, Sean. I cannot thank you enough oh, thank for coming you. in. We're going to end the conversation uh, with the way we end all of our interviews, which is, what does being a member of the church mean to you? You know, I watch these these um, these talent shows on TV, and the people get up there and they're asked the question, "What would winning this talent show mean to you?" And mm. they say, "Oh, it would mean everything to me." So I pause a moment to not say it would it means everything to me, but that's really the answer that comes to mind. It it's made me who I am. It sustains me when I have doubts of who I can be or who, or who I was meant to be. Um, it reminds me of what my purpose is, and it's not, it's not to be a star. It's not to be, you know, uh, fawned over by, by people. It's not to be recognized in a crowd. Really, at the end of the day, it's to be a good father and a good husband and a good grandfather and the church always provides me the the uh, template and the teachings yeah. of how to how to become that and try to remain that husband father actor true teen idol and now once again actor on the big screen and a man of god and a man of peace Sean thank you so much for coming on and sharing your latter-day life with us. We Thank appreciate you. It's it. been a pleasure. Thank you very much. My special thanks to my guest, Sean Stevens. Is he just awesome? Oh my gosh, what a great actor and what a great story. He's just a very humble, very approachable, all-around good guy. And do not forget that you can catch Sean as Scrooge. He's got some other projects coming up, too, that are really cool. But uh, he will be Scrooge in A Christmas Carol coming up at the big, beautiful new Hale Center Theater. Be sure to check that out. Thank you again, Sean. Awesome. Uh, This week in my latter-day life, uh, I actually had a cool business trip. (laughs) My business trip's are not always cool, but I've mentioned many times. I grew up in San Jose, California. I've had several guests from San Jose on the show, and this week my business travels actually took me back to San Jose. And I got in at around 5 o'clock, and I connected with an old friend of mine. In fact, it was really fun because he and I have been friends since we were both about 14, and his 14-year-old son was there with him, and we all went out to dinner. So fun to catch up, to have a friend of more than 30 years. It was just incredible. And then after I dropped him off, uh, I actually went and drove around my old neighborhood. I hadn't been there for a couple of years. And to drive around, I just took time to be grateful. I stopped in front of the house where I grew up, and I was grateful. And I stopped at some of the places where I worked, and I thought about the people that I've met. What a wonderful experience it was to go home. I don't need to go back and relive my past But it was beautiful to take time to be grateful. And I even thought about some of the challenges I had, some of the difficult times. I drove by uh, one of my old schools, and I thought about how hard it was sometimes, but also just how grateful I was for the experience. Home is what makes us, and I'm grateful for our home right here in Linden, Utah. I love it. love where I live, and I'm grateful for everywhere I've gotten to live. But there's something special about where we grow up. And for some of us, it's not the easiest thing on earth. And for some of us, it's 20 different places that we grow up. But that is what makes us. And I'm grateful for the family and the home I got to grow up in. And it was so neat to go back and see those places. But then the best part about it all was getting on an airplane again and coming home to my own family. I like where my life is now. I'm so thankful for all the places that made me who I am. But it's good to be here and and alive in this time. And that is what is happening this week in my Latter-day life. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in. And if you're watching us on video, thank you. And I apologize. I've got a great uh, great face for audio podcasts, I guess they would say. I think they used to say that you got a great face for radio. But uh, basically, this was a test. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you're watching it on video, uh, we'll see if we do them again. They're a lot of work. Uh, you can catch us, of course, anywhere that you get your podcasts. Uh, we're available on Stitcher, on TuneIn, on Apple Podcasts, all over the place. 
If you enjoy the show, please, please share it with someone. We keep growing and we just love it. And if you know someone who'd make a great guest, gosh, I had three people reach out to me this past week. Awesome. We love it. Thank you so much. Be sure to keep those suggestions coming and we love any feedback on the show. So that's pretty much it. So until next week when we'll have another fantastic episode, please remember as always, there is a great big beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. 